going to have a reading from Luke chapter 18, verse 37. That's Luke chapter 18 and verse 37. As Jesus was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let's welcome Artie as he comes to minister. Let's just praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let us lift our hearts to heaven and praise the Lord. Let's just praise the Lord, praise us lift our hearts to heaven and praise the Lord. God inhabits the praise of Israel. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Ask for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard, received, applied as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Let this be a word that edifies everyone here and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I will come clean with you and tell you that until about a quarter past nine last night, I had my sermon on Elisha all ready for today. We're in a series on Elisha. And... I just happened to turn on the television to watch a program and uh, quarter past nine and we're getting ready to go to bed and he just happened to say uh, that tomorrow is Palm Sunday. I said, Louise, did you hear that? 
Is tomorrow Palm Sunday? Yeah. Tomorrow is Palm Sunday. I said, I've got to preach on Palm Sunday. I have to. I don't have to, because I know Colin wouldn't care, because you're not a slave to the church calendar. But I said, I've got to. I've got to. And so all this has come out in the last few hours, and I've got a word for you. Now, here's the question I ask. Why is Palm Sunday important? Or do you think it is? Well, let me point out something. You may or may not know this. It is the only event of Holy Week that is in all four Gospels. It's in Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, John 12. All other events are just here and there. For example, uh, when Jesus says, it is finished, that's John 19, verse 30. When Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's in Matthew and Mark. Or did you know that the Gethsemane incident, where Jesus cried out, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. You have it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, but not in John. The point is, the one event that is in all four Gospels is this account of, of Palm Sunday. Now, why? That must mean it's important because in God's infallible word that it would take the time to describe an event. And what is interesting is that everybody's excited on Palm Sunday never had anybody seen anything like it. And yet five to six days later, it all ends in what you could call a disaster because it was not on anybody's thought in any shape or form that this would go so bad. You see, they were actually, if you're ready to accept this, praising God for the wrong reasons. They were sure. They didn't doubt. They knew. Jesus is the Messiah. He is that prophet. And this is the moment he is going to announce who he is and he's going to overthrow Rome because anybody that could raise Lazarus from the dead, anybody that can walk on water, anybody that could heal the sick, he could in just a wave of his hand get rid of all those Roman soldiers and overthrow Rome. And they could not wait for this moment because Israel was occupied by Rome. They hated Rome. They hated Pontius Pilate. They hated Caesar. And they wanted to see the back of those shoulders, soldiers, and they said, any day, you're out of here. And so this was the moment. They were so excited. And yet, five days later, he's hanging on a cross, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, now, the question is, why is Palm Sunday important? What is it teaching us? And as I said, all the praise 
They're praising God for the wrong reasons. They're thinking of themselves and what it's going to do for them. Well, there are two reasons that I want to share that Palm Sunday is so important and why you should listen to me today. Reason number one, it shows us the importance of praise. The word praise comes from the Greek word doxa, from which we get doxology, uh, translated honor, praise, glory. What you have here on Palm Sunday, it was a spontaneous praise. It was not orchestrated. There's no worship leader. It just happened. All of a sudden, as Jesus is coming on the donkey, they come out of nowhere, and they start shouting and praising Hosanna. They were so excited. Now, here's the thing. Because it's spontaneous, there'll be those who say, well, that's why it was good, and this is why it's right, because we need to see spontaneity. If you have to work it up, it's not good. But on the other hand, whereas we have spontaneous praise here, in Hebrews 13, verse 15, he talks about the sacrifice of praise. What is that? Well, it's not spontaneous. It's something you do. You just start praising the Lord when you don't feel like it. Here's the thing. Spontaneous praise is when it makes you feel good. Sacrifice of praise. What is that? That's when you don't feel like praising the Lord. You're having to drive yourself to do it. That's why it's called a sacrifice. It is not fun. Well, there are those who say, it's only when you feel the moving of the Spirit. That's when it's right. You know, there's an old spiritual, the Billy Graham choirs used to sing it. Every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I'll pray. You know what's wrong with that? The idea is you should only pray when the Spirit comes on you. And I will tell you something. If you could just let me confide in you, you won't tell anybody. <laughs> if I waited until the Spirit moved me to pray, if I'm totally honest with you, maybe once a month, I don't wait until I'm led. It's something I do. I have a prayer list. There are people here that are on it. Colin's on it. Bruce, you're on it. Gabriel, you're on it. I'm sorry, sir. I don't, don't think I've got your name. But we'll see what I can do. Write that down. <laughs> I just pray every day because I'm supposed to. You need a prayer list. You need a Bible reading plan. I don't wait till I'm led. Do you wait until you're led to brush your teeth? <laughs> Do you wait until you're led when you go to work? You see, when it comes to God, we just want to wait till we feel like it. There's a sacrifice of praise. And Paul says being instant, in season, out of season. 
in season, when it's easy, spontaneous, out of season, when you have to do it even if you don't feel like it. But the point is, on Palm Sunday, it was spontaneous praise. But there's another thing. It was scriptural praise. In fact, it says, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118, verse 26. You have the same thing in the Gospel of John, chapter 12 and following, where they quoted Psalm 118, verse 26. It was scriptural praise. And by the way, if you didn't know, it's in the Gospel of John, they talk about they brought palms, branches. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. That's not mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, but it's in John. That is why we call it Palm Sunday. But it was scriptural praise. And when you praise God quoting scripture, it's got to be right. You know, some years ago, when people began singing new choruses, and many of them were just scripture. But the old timers who hadn't heard anything like this before, they wanted the old hymns. I don't like these new things. But it was pointed out. Uh, it's all they're doing is quoting scripture. How could that be wrong? Well, you can be sure that when it's scriptural praise, it's got to be right. So what they were doing was exactly right. Has to be right. But there's more. It was salvation praise. How do you know? Because they cried out, Hosanna! Hosanna! You know what Hosanna means? He saves. Salvation. So this is what they were shouting. Salvation! Except for one thing. What they meant by salvation... And what today we would call salvation, not exactly the same thing. Because to that crowd, salvation meant salvation from Israel. Uh, sorry, from Caesar. That's all they could think of. It was on their minds. Do you know, for three years, even though Jesus would give one parable after another that should have told them, that the kingdom is not of this world. He kept saying, the kingdom of God is in you. In fact, uh, we're told he gave this parable because they thought everything was going to happen right now. And he's letting them, letting them know that what they're wanting is not going to happen day after tomorrow. But they thought it. And the only thing they could conceive, and by the way, are you aware of this? Even after Jesus was raised from the dead, Nobody knew why he died. Here he is alive. Oh, they're thrilled. In fact, his resurrection from the dead convinced them all the more. Now that he's got this power, he will overthrow Rome. Except that every time he would show up during a period of 40 days, he wasn't saying what they wanted to hear. And they looked at each other and said, when is he going to announce it? Well, I think they got into a little huddle and decided, look, the next time he shows up, we're all going to get our question asked. We all agreed, yes. Well, it worked. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. He shows up again, and they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Isn't it amazing? That was all they thought. That is all they thought. What you and I believe 
salvation by the death of Jesus on the cross didn't enter their minds. It was not until the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost that they saw why he came. Then they knew what salvation was. But here's the thing. They were saying the right thing. They were using the words. It's oftentimes when you go hear a preacher, and if he says certain words, you say, good, he's okay, I like him. But what you hear is not at all sometimes what the preacher meant. But if we hear certain words, F.F. Uh, F. Bruce once said that there are two kinds of Scots. He was a Scotsman. He said, there are those who go to hear the gospel preach, and they love it. But he says, there's also the type of Scot who goes to see whether the gospel is preached. And they tick off things. Oh, he said this. Yep, that's good. They don't get anything out of it except they're checking out a person's orthodoxy. And so here's the thing. When they were saying, he saves, Hosanna, sounded good. That's what they all wanted to hear. That's what they believed. This is what he's going to do. But it turned out that he ends up on a cross and their hopes are gone, devastated. They don't get it. Well, that's what was going on. And yet, would you believe it was so affirmed by Jesus, even though we now know what they were thinking, Jesus said, if they didn't do this, the stones would cry out. Here's another thing. It was simple praise. What do you mean by that? Well, it was so simple that the children got involved. That's right. Even the kids got involved, the children. And that is what got the goats of the Pharisees. That really got them. It says, children. What do they know? What are children? This is stupid. Children involved. Jesus said, this is exactly right. Quoted scripture how that would be true. And he said, if they didn't do it, the stones would cry out. Jesus was affirming the praise of children. It was simple. It was just so simple. But it's okay. God inhabits the praises of Israel. He inhabits the praise of his people. And you don't need to have uh, a hymn that is so particularly worded, so crafted, theologically apt, like, and can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Possibly the greatest hymn ever written, but you need to sing it dozens of times before you get all of it. And there are those who think that's the only kind of worship. Look, anything that children can enjoy, God accepts. Many years ago, well, a long time ago, in the Welsh Revival, 1904, Mrs. Martin Lloyd-Jones told me this story that uh, revival broke out in Wales and her father took her out of school here in London and put her and her older brother on a train at Paddington to go to Wales to see the revival. And people criticized him. How dare you take your children out of school? And you know what his reply was? They can always go to school. They may never see revival again. 
And so Mrs. Lloyd-Jones told me how she was six years old and how there was such a presence. And she told about one young girl, I think she says around nine years old, stood up and began to testify and went on and on and on, a glow on her face, and they thought she'd never stop. In fact, they tapped her on the shoulder and told her to sit down. <laughs> but it was all right. She was okay. But she was just full of it. A child. Palm Sunday, the children. Simple praise. But it was also sincere praise. All they thought that, although they thought that salvation was going to be deliverance from Israel, the truth is, they were sincere. And that matters. Maybe not perfect theology, but they were sincere. I remember, it's been two years ago. I won't tell you where it was. It was somewhere in the United States where I was in this service and I knew a lot about this church. I knew that the theology was about one inch deep. And the people who had so little knowledge were singing these choruses loud, jumping up and down. And this was really the thing. They got flags and they were walking back and forth these flags. And the Pharisee in me just popped out and I was so angry that what do these people know? And they're just jumping up and down. They don't know what they're singing. And I was just sitting there. Maybe I was standing, but I was full of resentment. And would you believe this has only happened to me once? A voice just said to me, went right against everything I was thinking. Here was the voice. They're worshiping me. Ooh. It calmed me down. My friend Bishop Joseph Garlington tells the story that he was in South Africa and he was visiting an aquarium and came to this fish he said it was the ugliest fish I ever saw in my life. And I kept looking at it. And he said, I said, Lord, why did you make a fish like that? And the Lord quickly replied, I didn't make him for you. <laughs> and sometimes there'll be people around you and you don't like the way they're worshiping. They just get on your nerves. But God's okay with it. It was simple praise. It was sincere praise. And one other thing, you may not like it. It was shouting praise. It was noisy. Are you bothered by noise? We're going to get you a special place in heaven where you can get away from all the sound because we're told, I don't know why they would do this, in heaven, 
They praised God with loud voices. You think, well, is God deaf? No, but he's not nervous either. <laughs> loud praises. It's interesting that A.W. Tozer made the comment, he says, when it's true worship, it will be noisy worship. So if you don't like noise, I understand that, but I don't know what you're going to do. We'll get you something to plug your ears, <laughs> and which is something I do need once in a while. But I can tell you, God likes it. And everything that happened, Jesus endorsed the whole thing, all of it, even though they were praising God for the wrong reasons. Simple children. He endorsed it. Here's the thing. He's a jealous God. He wants our praise. And remember this. It is always right to praise the Lord. And when you don't feel like it. Some years ago, our verger at Westminster Chapel, Fred Jinks, and Louise was with him, and they went to see a lady in Gordon Hospital, which is a mental hospital. And there was one of our members, now in heaven, her name was Yvette. And she had severe depression. And Fred went in, and Louise, and they asked her, how are you? She said, it's, it's okay. I'm just sitting here praising the Lord. And said, Dr. Kendall taught me that when you don't feel like it, just praise the Lord. And that's what I'm doing. You see, when it's spontaneous, it's easy. God is pleasing us. But when it's a sacrifice of praise, that's your opportunity to please the Lord. It's always in order to praise God. Well, that's reason number one. Why Palm Sunday is important. But I want to come now to the second reason. And Palm Sunday tells us the reason that the Jews missed their Messiah. It is so sad. People ask me, how could this happen? I don't get it. How come Jesus was right there and they missed their Messiah? Well, Here's what Jesus said. We're told that after being told that he should rebuke his disciples, and he says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And now a new phase of Palm Sunday. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Have you ever noticed that? While the crowds were worshiping, Jesus was weeping. Had you ever thought of weeping on Palm Sunday? Jesus was weeping. There are only two occasions in the New Testament where Jesus wept. The one is John 11, verse 35. It's the description of when Jesus was at the tomb of Lazarus. There have been all kinds of speculation. Whatever did he mean? What, why did he cry? Why did he weep? I know one thing. When I was a kid and we had to memorize scripture, 
I always chose John 11:35 as my verse. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. We don't know why he wept. I could give you a half a dozen reasons. But this time when he wept, we know the reason. We know the reason. He said, if you, and he's talking to this city, he's talking to Jerusalem. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, as the King James Version put it, what belongs to you. This is yours. It should be your inheritance. But you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. And he wept. See, a long era was now coming to an end. Jesus knew it. He's the only person on Palm Sunday that knew exactly what was happening. He knew what was going on. He knew why they were praising him, and he affirmed it. He knew what was coming down the road in the next few days. He wasn't weeping because he's going to have to die on a cross and go through pain. Oh, no. He was weeping because he knew that this city that belonged to the Jews is going to forfeit the greatest event in all history. It shouldn't happen. A thousand years before, it was founded by King David. And over the years, it was such a place where the prophets came in and out. The holy city of Jerusalem. A long era coming to an end. What belonged to Jerusalem is going to be taken away. And the temple, he said, will soon be torn down. In fact, here's what he said. If you had only known what belongs to you, it is now hidden from your eyes. Why were, was it hidden? I'm going to tell you in a minute. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and you and the children within your ground, they will not leave one stone on another. Whatever does that mean? What, who are the they? Rome. Rome is going to come in before that generation would be over. Why one stone? Not one stone will be on another. Well, Josephus, Jewish historian, tells us that when the temple was built, there was gold between the rocks and the stones. So they tore down every stone to get the gold. Exactly as Jesus prophesied. And he knew that was going to come. And then he comes to the reason all this would happen. Here's the reason for Palm Sunday. Because we find here the reason the Jews missed their Messiah. And Jesus says, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. As the King James Version put it, you didn't recognize the day of your visitation. Wouldn't it be awful? You're waiting for something to happen and you think it's going to be so wonderful? No chance would you miss it. And it comes and it's gone and you miss the whole thing. You say, well, how could that be? I'm going to tell you how it could be. By their rejecting Jesus, a blindness came on them. 
They couldn't see it. Jonathan Edwards taught us that the task of every generation is to discover in which direction the sovereign redeemer is moving, then move in that direction. Do you not know that every synagogue in Judea, every synagogue in Galilee, rabbis would shout, Isaiah 64, verse 1, Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens and come down. Week after week, Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens and come down. He came down. They looked right at him in their eyes. They didn't see him. They missed him. They said, you're not the one. You're not the one we're looking for. In fact, Jesus put a question to them. I don't know that they were listening. People ask me all the time, how could the Jews miss their Messiah? You perhaps may recall that Rabbi David Rosen, he's Sir David Rosen, he's been knighted by the queen, the most decorated rabbi in Israel. He and I wrote a book together called The Christian and the Pharisee. His title, he was the Pharisee, he wanted to be called that. He would say with a straight face, I certainly am a Pharisee. He knows how we feel about Pharisees. He said, Pharisees just don't get a good press in the New Testament. Well, we wrote this book in which I write to him ex explaining why Jesus is the Messiah. He writes back to say why he doesn't believe it. He's blind. Sincerely doesn't believe it. But why is he blind? I'm going to tell you. Jesus said to the Pharisees with a question, how can you believe? How can you? I know you don't believe me. I know you don't believe in me. But how can you? You know why? Because you receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from God only. In other words, it's Jesus saying, you are not able to believe me. You're not able. Why? Because all you care about is what everyone else thinks. You're worried that you will offend your fellow Christians. Oh, sorry, not Christians, fellow Jews. That's the first mistake I've ever made. <laughs> Wake up, Colin. I saw you about to doze off. <laughs> How can you believe who receive honor one of another? In other words, they just wanted everybody to like them. I remember when I was at Westminster Chapel, we did some controversial things. Invited Arthur Blessed, man that carries a cross around the world. I nearly lost my job. And one pastor in London, he's a friend of mine, he's a nice person, wrote me and said, RT, if revival comes to London, I'll know it. He later apologized to his everlasting credit. If you had asked any Sadducee, any Pharisee, is there any possibility that Messiah could show up and you not get it? Oh, not a chance. If Messiah comes, we'll know it. We'll know it. Well, he came. They missed him. Why? It's because it was not on their radar screen to want the honor that comes from God. 
They only wanted the honor of one another. That's all they thought about. And this is why so many Christians today miss, they miss what God is doing. Because they say, well, that's not God. Holy Spirit can be at work, and they say, that's not God. I, I would know it if it was God. In fact, when I go to Wales, they're still talking about the Welsh Revival, 1904. They believe when God comes, it's going to be like that. You see, God doesn't show up the same way every day. Hebrews chapter 11, every single person described, every one of them, had to do something different than the one before. And that's the way it is. Take, for example, 16th century. Martin Luther, John Calvin. Are you aware that this year is the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther turning the world upside down by his 95 theses he nailed to the door of Wittenberg? Colin has kindly invited me to... to come back next October and fly to Wittenberg and, and maybe have a conference there. We want to commemorate Martin Luther. What God did with Luther, that was a work of God. But in the 18th century, God was at work with John Wesley and George Whitfield, altogether different from the 16th century. Jonathan Edwards taught us the task of every generation is to discover in which direction the sovereign redeemer is moving, then move in that direction. And if you're not careful, you will miss what God is in. Let me tell you, when I first heard about this thing that they used to call the Toronto Blessing, when I heard about that and people falling in the floor and laughing their heads off, I said, that is not God. I didn't want it to be God because I find that offensive. And besides, if it really was God, it would have come to Westminster Chapel first. <laughs> and then, some days later, Ken Costa, church warden, Holy Trinity Brompton, wanted my wisdom, if you can believe that. He phoned me, he said, something unusual has happened here at Holy Trinity, and I need wisdom. Have you got any sermons on 1 John 4, verses 1, 2, 3, 4? I said, yeah, i got four. And I sent them to him. He sent a courier over, and he read those sermons. And then he said, could we have lunch? And I was coming that day for lunch, and I was going to sort out Ken Costa. He wasn't trying to sort me out. He just needed help. He wasn't trying to convince me of anything as he talked, as he spoke, and I saw the glow on his face. And I, 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 the more I listened, I thought, oh dear, this is not good. I think I'm on the wrong side. Because you know in the Great Awakening, they, you know who opposed the Great Awakening? Christians. Do you know who opposed the Welsh Revival? Christians. And I thought, I am in a tradition of anti, and I'm opposing what Oh, dear. I said, Ken, I've got a feeling I've been wrong. I called Louise. I said, I think I've been wrong. I went to the pulpit at Westminster Chapel, publicly climbed down, 
I've never looked back. I still get letters. Is it true that you endorse the Toronto blessing? Yep. You see, if I wanted the opinion of people or their praise, that's the last thing I would do. Cost me to lose more invitations. The honor of God is what matters. But that did not matter to Israel. You see, they were in such a backslidden state that when Messiah comes, they miss him and blindness is put on them and it's on them to this very day. Well, the reason they missed the Messiah, they didn't recognize the time of their visitation. It didn't cross their minds just to want the honor of God. So Jesus said, surprise, surprise, how can you believe? You don't. You just want honor from one another. Mutual admiration society. Don't offend one another. You don't want to be put out of the synagogue. He says you don't even make an effort to receive the honor that comes from God only. And that's the second reason for Palm Sunday. Let's just praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let us lift our hearts to heaven and praise the Lord. Let's just praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's just lift our hearts to heaven and praise the Lord.